0: Yale Podcast Network Welcome to ISM Fellows in Conversation, a podcast from the Yale Institute of Sacred Music. The episodes in this series present a discussion between a current ISM student and a visiting researcher in the ISM Fellows program. Each year, the institute hosts a cohort of fellows who are in residence for one year to pursue interdisciplinary projects and teach at Yale. The following conversation focuses on the diverse research, teaching, and creative work of a current ISM Fellow. Hello, everyone. My name is Ariana Hones. I am a first-year Master's of Divinity student here at Yale Divinity School and part of the Institute for Sacred Music. Today, we are being joined by John Bullock, who is a postdoctoral associate at Yale University's Institute of Sacred Music. He completed his Ph.D. in ethnomusicology at the University of Chicago in 2022. John's research focuses on the impact of colonialism and the technologies of sound, such as recording and broadcasting on Kurdish music, especially in Iraq. Thank you for joining us, John. So good to have you here today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here with you.
0: Wonderful. So to begin, can you just tell us more about what is ethnomusicology to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, an academic discipline, most often considered a sort of subset, if you will, of musicology. But there are folks who see it as a subset of cultural anthropology, depending on your point of view. Uh, But essentially, one of the pithiest definitions that I like to give people is that it's the study of music in culture. And so essentially, it's, you know, in its earlier days in the late 19th century, it started as a sort of uh, comparative approach to different musical systems of the world um, you know, in a sort of negative way of holding up Western art music as the pinnacle of, of musical expression and comparing all these other world musical systems to it. Uh, as time went by, of course, people started realizing that you know, many of these, uh, all of these musics were worth studying uh, for their own sake and without the, the need necessarily to compare it to anything else. And so nowadays it's essentially taking a point of view of uh, a way of approaching music in in various cultures around the world, including now uh, western art music. <laughs>
0: mm. Thank you, and what first drew you to studying Kurdish music and radio?
1: Yeah, this is a good question. so uh, our readers of course may not catch or our listeners rather may not catch this right off the bat, but I personally am not Kurdish. <laughs> I stand out with red hair and blue eyes uh, in Kurdistan, so so my interest is not due to my own heritage, but uh, rather I several years ago before I uh, came to grad school, I was looking for another project to work on in grad school and I read an article about Iraqi Kurds, and it just struck me out of sheer curiosity. Oh my gosh, I wonder what Kurdish music sounds like. There has to be stuff written about this. So uh, from a previous degree, I still had access to JSTOR, right? (laughs) So I started searching on JSTOR, you know, what can I find about Kurdish music? And I realized there was actually very little uh, written in English and much of what was written was either decades old or sort of focused exclusively on what we might call more traditional musical practices uh, that really left readers wondering, well, what is the contemporary scene of Kurdish music? And so... I had some friends in Nashville, Tennessee, who, had, uh, who knew someone in Nashville who had lived and worked in Kurdistan in Iraq, and so they said, next time you come visit us, we'll introduce you. And so I did. I went to visit them, and they introduced me, and uh, this friend of a friend introduced me to yet another friend who was a Kurdish composer, and we started talking about Kurdish music and its history and its politics, and I just sort of decided that I would stay on this path of searching for knowledge about Kurdish music, and I'm still here today
0: wonderful and what is the relationship that you see between colonial power and specifically Kurdish radio broadcasting and that research interest
1: right uh, so first of all I, I came to radio um, sort of a little later in my in my fact-finding mission I, I always say that I should have known earlier on that technology would have been such a central piece of my work because on my very first trip to Nashville trying to you know to meet people and to broaden my my at the time very basic knowledge of Kurds in Kurdistan, um, I started asking folks, you know, is there anywhere nearby where I can, you know, talk to Kurdish musicians or find recordings for sale or something like this? And people kept telling me, if you want to find Kurdish music, just go to YouTube. Like, what, what are you? <laughs> it's not that deep. So, even, you know, earlier on, that was like a flag that I should have been picking up on. But I didn't until I went to Kurdistan uh, for a period of fieldwork, uh, first in 2017 and then again in 2019. And people that I met with, you know, historians, scholars of Kurdish music, kept talking about radio. And then the sort of final big push toward radio was uh, actually occurred during the pandemic. I was supposed to go back to Iraq for another period of fieldwork. Um, and then the global shutdowns happened. So there was no going anywhere. So at the time, I said, well, I'll just work with the materials I've gathered. I'll work with what I have. And several of those materials dealt with histories of Kurdish radio Baghdad. Um, And there was Kurdish broadcasting from Baghdad starting in 1939, and it continued until the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq in 2003. So that really sealed the deal as far as focusing on radio. Um, And as far as colonial power goes, so it's important to note that Kurdistan, of course, is not a state, that Kurds in the, the part of the world we call Kurdistan live at the juncture of Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. And my research focuses primarily on the Iraqi portion of Kurdistan, what's often called Bashur or Southern Kurdistan. and so in each of these nation states, the relationship with and toward colonial power has been a little different. Uh, for example, after World War I, the French took mandates for what is now Syria, the British took mandates for what is now Iraq and Palestine, Israel. And so, you know, there were differing relationships toward colonial power. And even prior to World War I, the Kurds were divided between the Ottomans and the Safavid Persians, for example. So colonial power has always been a central feature of Kurdish history. And then in the 20th century, when it came time uh, you know, for radio that really spread across the globe, colonial powers were using it to their advantage. There were a couple Kurdish stations, for example, broadcasting from Jaffa in Palestine and from Beirut in Lebanon that were started by the French and the British. The French started the one in Beirut, the British the one in Jaffa, b- directly because uh, their fears during World War II of Nazi propaganda reaching the Middle East. And so colonial power has been implicated in all of these stations, in one way or another. And then radio also, of course, became a site of resisting colonial power or critiquing colonial power, or at least a site in which its its reach was certainly acknowledged, even in, in broadcasting things that you would think had very little to do with, with politics or colonial power.
0: Mm, thank you. And I'm curious at the ISM in particular, how are you viewing Kurdish radio through the lens of the sacred?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's a sort of... Two pronged approach here that I came to ISM hoping to you know to study Kurdish music in regards to the sacred. The first is sort of building on the work that I've done with Kurdish radio and sort of going back through uh, broadcasting programs, for example, that are included in some of these Kurdish works on Kurdish Radio Baghdad, and trying to figure out the role of the sacred in these broadcasts. So one good example is there's a program from the 1950s that says you know many of the the Broadcasting days often started with recitation of the Qur'an. Uh, So, for example, a majority of Kurds are Sunni Muslim. But there are other uh, major religious groups among the Kurds as well. Yazidis, adherents of Yarsan or Ahli Haq. And so I really wanted to see how was this sort of multifaceted experience of the sacred showing up in radio. And so this program from the 1950s, for example, has a slot that doesn't just say Quranic recitation, but it says translated Quranic recitation, which is interesting because in the broader Muslim world, there's a real priority placed on hearing the Quran recited in Arabic. This was the language in which it was revealed to the prophet by the angel Gabriel. So it's really interesting to think about what it means to hear the Quran in Kurdish uh, rather than Arabic. So that's one example. I'm sort of trying to go back through and find, you know, these areas in which the sacred pops up is a really important theme in radio. The other side of things, I came to Yale uh, working with a team who's trying to find uh, funding for uh, the digitization and curation of a massive archive of Kurdish music. It's currently in the hands of a private collector in Diyarbakir in Turkey, um, and yet there are sacred Kurdish genres as part of this archive. So it's a sort of backhanded way of trying to work <laughs> among these archives to find funding and uh, the means and resources to digitize these so that not just myself, but scholars all over the world can have access to them. Mm,
0: yeah, and can you talk more about just how the, that effort to digitize those records are highlighting some of the problems around colonialism and radio and just how do we get access to these sorts of pieces of information and sharing of culture?
1: Absolutely. So as I mentioned before, there's no single Kurdish state. There's no Kurdish nation state. And so in a way, this means that there has never really been a central archive or a central supporting uh, body for the gathering, archiving, collecting uh, digitizing more recently of Kurdish cultural artifacts, not just music, but across all of Kurdish culture, and in fact, many of the states in which Kurds now live have actually, over the years, proven hostile in various forms to Kurdish cultural expression. Um, you know, so in in a sense, this sort of depends on which nation state you're talking about. But uh, for example, in Turkey, where this current collection is held um you know it's been it's been really challenging of course even most recently with the earthquake uh, just sort of lots of logistical concerns um of late and you know this is one example of why a central kurdish archive would be so useful and also of course because travel to many of the regions in which kurds live can be very difficult so to syria for example uh so this is why we've been pushing so hard and trying to work with other organizations that have these sorts of cultural materials um, to gather them all in one place, to make them accessible to researchers all across the world, even to Kurds themselves who might want to study music from neighboring regions they're not able to visit. Um, And again, like I said, in terms of the history of colonial power, uh, this is really reflected in these histories of sort of downplaying or disparaging Kurdish culture. I've heard actually on several occasions still today this claim that like, you know, there's no such thing as Kurdish music. It's just, it's basically a cheap imitation of Arabic, Turkish, or Persian musical styles, which, you know, is sort of, (laughs) it's absurd, but it's a claim that still circulates. And so this is also, uh, in my opinion, a legacy of colonial power and colonial logics, um, as I refer to them. And so there's also a sense in which gathering all these materials into a single place will really start to, you know, make claims like this less and less feasible.
0: And could you, if you have a story to share or examples of how you see Kurdish music, Kurdish radio, the possibility of a central archive helping to shape um, identity around what does it mean to be Kurdish? What does it mean to be people that without a, a state or a nation? Um, yeah, and how you're just, you know, from, from your interactions with people on the ground, how, that, how you've seen that play out.
1: Yeah, this is a great question. So on the one hand, it's notoriously difficult to try and talk about Kurdish identity, (laughs) because the most basic question is, what kind of identity is this? Uh, It's not solely linguistic, in part because, uh, you know, there are many Kurdish dialects, some of which are mutually unintelligible. And there are many Kurds, uh, especially of the current and prior generation or two, where the nation where they lived it was often literally illegal to speak in Kurdish in public. So there are many young Kurds who don't know Kurdish at all, but who speak other languages. So it's not strictly linguistic. Uh, It's not obviously necessarily political, given the sort of political difficulties of the region. It's not just religious, given the plethora of religious experiences. Um, And so this is a difficult question, but radio is actually a really interesting part of this story and music, uh, because this has been one of the factors in really... um, Cementing this idea of a broader transnational Kurdish listening public, uh, to use a term uh, that's sort of modified by uh, Stephen Blum and Amir Hassanpour uh, in an article in the 1990s, where they talk about the importance of radio as a, you know, the most important catalyst for the formation of a Kurdish listening public, and this is building, of course, on Benedict Anderson's. Uh, focus on reading publics. Uh, And so what happened was even in places where, you know, the, the dialects of Kurdish, for example, may have been mutually unintelligible, what broadcasting did was to sort of spread around a sort of sonic literacy, right, of musical styles, for example, that may have been prior just known in one part of Kurdistan, and yet radio helped to really spread these. So a good example is a genre called lawik, uh, which is an epic sung genre that originated in the Kurmanji-speaking parts of northern Kurdistan. And uh, according to, or thanks to radio and uh, broadcasting so, and also recording, so phonographs, for example, this genre really spread to lots of other parts of Kurdistan. And so even in ways where there are still political difficulties, political divisions, music via radio and other technologies of sound has really brought people together in, in unique ways, I think.
0: Mm, Thank you. Um, I'm wondering if you will introduce a field recording for us that we will uh, share with the listeners.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So this field recording is uh, the most simple level. It's a recording of of me and some friends listening to radio. Uh, And the context was it was fall 2019. And I did my field work in a city in northeast Iraq called Slemani. And uh, it's really common among Kurds in you know, like the nicer parts of the year to go out in buses <laughs> into the mountains for Seiran, which is a picnic. And it's not at all uncommon to see these buses headed out of the city toward the mountains. And, you know, you'll often hear these buses, you'll hear the radio jamming before you ever see the bus. And as the bus passes, you'll often see people literally up in the aisles dancing. And so it's a really interesting cultural social space of interacting with radio. It's not just about, in that case, what's being broadcast, but the sort of live interactions. Uh, So what you'll hear is a recording, like I said, of, of me and a group of folks who were Headed out on one of these hikes, picnics in a region called Helmand along the Iraqi-Iranian border, and it's just us enjoying and interacting with radio in real time.
0: Wonderful. Well, this will be a very meta experience for everyone listening to a podcast about someone listening to the radio. Um, but thank you so much, and we'll we'll let the uh, the recording speak for itself. Thank you.
1: Thanks again. سوند
0: <gülüyor> آدمی For more information on the ISM Fellows Program, please visit ism.yale.edu forward slash fellowships. Please join us again for more episodes of ISM Fellows in Conversation.